in those instances, it, it can get messy because if you're going to bring over just open items, then it looks a bit weird when you're looking at a purchase order in the target system because it doesn't match the original one because there's only, say, there's 10 lines on the original PO. When you migrate, there were only three that were open. So you're migrating a PO with three items on and they're just the remaining ones that are, that are to be delivered and invoiced. So there are issues with that. You Growing a business requires a holistic approach that extends beyond sales and marketing. This approach needs alignment among people, processes, and technologies. So if you're a business owner, operations, or finance leader looking to learn growth strategies from your peers and competitors, you're tuned into the right podcast. Welcome to the WBS Podcast, where scalable growth using business systems is our number one priority. Now, here is your host, Sam Gupta. Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of the WBS Podcast. I'm Sam Gupta, your host and principal consultant at independent ERP and digital transformation consulting firm Elevate IQ. Most people struggle to understand the data migration challenges with ERP systems. They also struggle to understand why ERP data is harder to migrate than other technical systems such as CRM. The challenges could be even more grave if there are multiple currencies involved, as well as when you might be migrating data from incompatible and incomplete source. So what are the best practices of data migration? In today's episode, our guest Richard Ray shares his insights into data migration challenges of financial data. He also talks about several issues with data migration projects such as multi-currency, incomplete source data and incompatibility of source and destination data sources. Finally, we discuss the differences between migrating financial and operational data and the rationale for bringing data and how each system has different ways of handling chart of accounts. Let me introduce Richard to you. Richard is an IT professional with 20 plus years experience specializing in the design, implementation, development and management of business systems. With that, let's get to the conversation. Hey, Richard. Welcome to the show. Hey, Sam. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me. Of course, my pleasure. And this is going to be so exciting because the kind of depth you have from the perspective in the ERP world, that's always the most challenging area in my experience. So I am personally going to have a lot of fun discussing that. Before we do that, do you want to start with your a little personal story and your current yeah, focus, sure. Richard? Okay. Yeah. Thanks, Sam. So Richard Ray, uh, I'm a business system specialist, uh, works for software authors, resellers, but also on customer side. So I've got the sort of rounded experience yep. of uh, knowing what both sides want. So yeah, no, thanks for having me. Of course. Um, so great background. Obviously, you are super qualified to speak on this topic because you have done for like, you know, what, 20 years now? Yeah. yeah. So yeah, so it's going to be really exciting. So now, you know, we have one of these standard questions before we dig into your stories and the examples of the work that you have done. And that fixed question is going to be your perspective on business growth, Richard. Okay, so with business growth, I mean, obviously, talking about systems as well, different Business sizes need systems that it will evolve over time. Now, when you get to a certain size, then yeah. you're going to have a system you need to, to evolve to. And that might include an exercise of data migration as well. 
clearly you're going through, you might have a very simple, maybe single currency system initially, and then you need to grow to a system that's multi-currency. So that will involve a new system typically and a big data migration project potentially. So yeah, that's um, that'd be my perspective on that, Sam. Okay, very interesting perspective. And by the way, very interesting layer there as well. So when I think of data migration, I was personally not thinking that, okay, there could be a single currency system to your multi-currency. So I want you to provide, if you have any sort of example or the story, I don't know whether you did that or if you have ideas about how to migrate from single currency to to multi-currency and what are the challenges that these businesses might expect when they are doing that. So first, obviously, you know, describe the single currency versus multi-currency and what are different challenges that companies might expect. And then also some companies, what they are going to do is they might be multi-currency, but they might be using single currency. So obviously they are going to be doing a lot of workarounds in accommodating the multi-currency functionality inside your single currency system. And then you have to migrate all of those workarounds. And typically that is going to be far more challenging project because you are translating the creativity that these people may have done and everybody sort of is going to be creative in different fashion, right? So number one, single currency versus multi-currency, any examples, the story and the whole data migration for this specific use. So I think in terms of single currency systems, there's there's probably not many out there anymore because everyone's, you know, the, the pennies drop that everyone transacts yeah, yeah. in multiple currencies. But um, all systems have typically, they've got your transaction currency. So you're going to be transacting Maybe just a single currency. You might just be in the UK transacting in sterling and reporting yeah. in sterling. So you might actually, it might be a multi-currency system, but as you say, using it as a, a single currency. In that case, you know, it's going to be, and they might do adjustments when there's, you know, manual adjustments for multi-currency. Maybe taking it outside into Excel and then doing, you know, the translation there. Yeah. Using rates off of whatever site. So that would be, you know, it's a very simple system. But in that case, when you've got those multi-currency with uh, the adjustments, they're going to need to be flagged somewhere as well. So that if you do go to a a multi-currency, true multi-currency system, you've got the ability to translate those so that you've got, you're always maintaining that record. The reported numbers are always going to be the same in your source system and your new system as well. So that, you know, I don't have specific examples of systems, but that would be an example of, of how you approach that. Okay, very interesting. So I don't know how many people are really going to understand what is the difference between your transactional currency. Obviously, you know, CFOs may have big idea from the accounting perspective. But when we look at these ERP systems, they are going to have many different currencies. And multi-currency could mean a lot of different things in many different systems. Some systems are going to claim that they are multi-currency, but they are barely going to have the multi-currency. And when you look at, you know, multiple entities in the ERP world, that could drive the multi-currency functionalities. So maybe provide some more layers about how many different currency types are there in the ERP system and what is the transactional currency in the context of the business model. Maybe describe a transaction about where this whole transactional currency is going to be applicable. Sure. So, I mean, I've touched on working for for its software authors. So I worked for Infor back in 2004 for three yeah. years uh, on Sun Systems. Now, Sun Systems has uh, three main currencies, I'd say. It's got the okay. transaction currency. So that's that's the currency that you are buying and selling, essentially. So you might buy something in dollars, euros, sterling, wh- whatever it is. So that's your transaction currency, and that is always going to be variable. You'll have multiple transaction currencies in your system. Yep. 
you'll then typically have a base currency or the functional currency. So that, that's what you're reporting in. Uh, in the oil and gas industry that I've been working in for a long time, that's typically US dollars because US yep. dollars, you know, dollars, price of oil is always in dollars. So that's typically the functional currency. Then you might have a second base currency or a reporting currency. Now, that's the one that if you potentially got statutory reporting inside of your entities, then you would use that as well. So that's that's three currencies. And they're the three that you typically use in Sun. Sun Systems also has another two, actually. So it has up to five in total. You have a variable fourth currency. So for some entities, you can have another currency as well. And then the fifth one is also that gives you the ability to have a fifth currency as well. I don't know. I never saw the fifth one being used, but I'm sure there's some people out there. Otherwise, it, it would never have got into the system. So which one is the fifth one? Do you have some sort of example there of the fifth one? So, OK, so four I got. One is obviously your transactional. The second is base, which is the third is reporting, I, I guess you mentioned. And fourth is going to be if your entities are going to be reporting in different currency. So you have that. Which is the fifth one? Great. So the fifth one just gives you the ability. It's It doesn't really have a, a name. It would be if you just had, I'm guessing there's some customer out there who's had the need for a, a fifth currency at some point, and that's got factored into the system. I'm not sure of any other systems that have up to five currencies. Uh, interesting. Very interesting. So, okay. So let's go back to the data migration aspect. Let's say if a customer implemented a system and they probably didn't understand how to use this currency, maybe they did the ERP implementation more in the DI buy mode, okay? And you know how that goes, right? I mean, see, you do whatever you can, but there are going to be at least a million ways of doing things in the ERP system. They did it. Now they are trying to transfer it. And now the people who are going to be doing data migration, it's probably a nightmare for them because it's not the intended way of doing things. And if you don't do that, obviously your data migration is going to be far more complex. So what would be the data migration challenges in your experience? <laughs> There's, there, there can be many. So obviously you need to, you need to know your data. That, yeah. That's one of the sort of key challenges that, that you have. If you don't understand the structure of your source and target um, yeah. system, then it's going to be, you know, problematic to say the least. You know, you need to, to understand how the data is structured in the source system. If it's using multi-currency, uh, how it translates, how, how it translates the transaction currency to those currencies as well. Does it does it multiply the rate? Does it divide the rate? It's really getting into the weeds of how those systems work. And if you don't know that from the start, then, yeah, as I mentioned, that it is going to cause you issues. So you might need to get a specialist from both the source and the target system uh, in for that project. Um, so that would be the, the first thing that I'd say. Definitely, you know, knowing the data. Um, also, when you are moving it from one system to the other, there might be certain rules in place that you need to do. There might be missing data from the from the source that isn't isn't even available in the target. Yeah. So you may need to to actually work out what the data is going to look like once you do it on a subset of the data and then maybe apply certain rules. You might need lookup tables, etc. Yeah. So that's just a, a couple of the issues that that I would say. There's also things about you know reconciling the data at every single point. If you're making changes throughout that journey of that data going from source to target, then you need to be reconciling at every point. So you know if there is a reconciling difference, you know at what point it's caused uh, has caused that issue. So that's that's just a few, Sam. Yeah. So very interestingly, say so. Let's say if I am 
trying to do this data migration. And again, based on the way you are describing, it probably does not sound as complex, right? Because if you think of, from my perspective, let's say, if I'm the CFO uh, of the manufacturing organization, I grew up doing data reconciliation, data migration. I do the analysis on a daily basis. The amount of analysis that I'm going to be doing for my business, I don't think uh, you know anybody would be doing as much analysis of my business. They would require some sort of training of my business. I'm probably more qualified in doing any sort of migration for my own business just because of the training time. So now you mentioned that you know we are trying to bring in these two experts. One is going to be from system one, one is going to be from system two. And then obviously I need to train them about my business, about my data, and then they are going to be applying a lot of magic there. And that magic, you know, I'm probably far more expert. So why is data migration so difficult when it comes to ERP, when, you know, it is not as difficult if I'm doing data migration in my spreadsheet? <laughs> okay, well, first of all, that, yeah, you talked about spreadsheets. So yeah, each system has its challenges. So no, I'll give you an example um, that I worked on uh, it was a couple of years ago now, but that was migrating data from Sage to okay. SunSystem for an energy company. So Sage, the the data is very hard to, to get out in a in a meaningful format. Let's say you want everything in a single row that's got everything you could possibly need about a transaction. You yeah. Know, the, the description, the date, the period, the transaction currency, all the different amounts that I mentioned, no. So in, in Sage, what you have is just a very simple list of transactions, but you don't have the uh, the transaction currency. You just have the dollar amount. Huh. Then there's a separate table. So if you think of Excel, it's going to be another worksheet, a separate worksheet with all the different rates in for each transaction as well. So it keeps it very separate. So the process that we went through, we had to stitch together all that data and also all the different. Um, so it has the concept of sub ledgers as well. So you've got your um, trade payables and then you've got another table with all the data in there about all the, the transactions with your different creditors. So it's an absolute nightmare. And just to, to try and stitch all that together, I had a developer create a macro in Excel to actually do some of that stitching together of the data so we could actually piece it all together so that we could then process it and make it in a some systems format that we could import. So by by no means was that an, an easy feat. Um, and it, it took a long time to perfect that as well. Obviously with financial data you need to need to reconcile to the to the penny. So you can't have any differences whatsoever. So that that process, it was underestimated how long it would take as well. So I think maybe initially we had 10 days for the data migration. Those 10 days got blown out of the water, I think. Yeah, I can't remember the total amount in the end, but it, it was it was a lot more than 10 days. I'd say it's probably 50 and that might be, you know, that might. Be. OK, so here we are talking about a business and you are talking about very specific data set. And when you look at the large ERP system, there are going to be thousands, ten thousands of data sets that you need to migrate. And the more upstream the data is going to be, the more dependencies they are going to have. Uh, again, here we are talking about probably the lowest common denominator overall from the ERP data perspective. Anything that is going to be related to finance is not going to have as much dependency as your, let's say, if you are trying to migrate your sales orders or the purchase orders. They are going to have a lot more dependency on your DL shipment, financial periods. Uh, I'm not trying to suggest that 
the financial data is not difficult that is equally difficult as well but it is not going to have as many dependencies so here when you are and i don't know if you are able to provide some sort of sense in terms of the total time that it took for you to be able to migrate i don't know whether it was more of 3 months 6 months a year uh, you know so overall at this point of time i don't know if listeners are able to follow along in terms of the volume and the time estimate that they need to make when they are looking for this kind of business and i don't even know how large this business was and how many transactions that did they have um, to be able to migrate this so are, are you able to provide any more colors there overall from the size of the business and how many data points are we trying to migrate yeah sure so in terms of from uh, sorry entities probably talking about eight i think it was eight to 10 entities in total probably across all of those entities talking a half a million transaction okay it's just, it's not too much i've seen a lot more than that as well um and the the lapse time was more like 6 months because just the there were other aspects of the project that it wasn't 6 months purely on data migration but yeah, yeah. that was a lapse time um to give a ballpark on how long it it took in total i would say 3 months okay. of that you know business days not you know um so yeah 12 weeks say so 12 weeks to do that addition. now the i think sage is a is a different base obviously there's no database behind it well there is but you can't hook into it in sql like you can with some uh some systems where it makes it slightly easier to do that data migration so that that's a bit of an extreme case in some way you've got a bit more of a structured data set as i mentioned or you can even extract it into a into an excel format with all the data um without having to do the stitching together i mentioned that time frame could come down considerably down to maybe 6 weeks if you again if you know the data source and target you know what you're doing then that that time frame could come down okay so that's a very interesting example right there so there are a couple of more things that i would like to peel here so number one you know obviously sage has a lot of different products and i don't know which product we are talking about there are going to be some sage products that are going to be sql server based or, um, you know some sort of sql technology based so here i don't know whether we are talking about sage 100 200 300 i i, I believe those are probably going to be the ones that are going to have your file based database uh, do you recall by any chance which system are we talking about here no but it was one of the more yeah the the lower tier baby ones <laughs> yeah yeah exactly the baby ones yeah exactly yeah <laughs> okay so now to a grown up system yeah that's right <laughs> yeah 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 so very interesting so now i think one of the key point that you mentioned there let's say if you are migrating from slightly more sql centric data base to sql server centric database then your migration is going to be easier because they are probably going to have similar correlation and a lot of customers to be honest okay they fall for systems that are going to have very different data sets very different data model overall so uh, you know so obviously i want uh, your opinion do you see this as more of the more effort in terms of data migration uh, and i don't know you know how much effort are we talking about in terms of data migration but we have seen scenarios where the systems are going to flatten with the data and the reason why they flatten the, the data is because the hierarchical data structure that you are going to have maybe their databases are not as robust sometimes they are going to have no sql database can you believe this and no sql you are not going to have the same sort of reliability that you are going to have in your mainstream erp system 
So basically, you know, when you mentioned that, you know what, when you are going to have different data stores, then your data migration is going to be far more difficult. So do you have any other commentary to add there? Uh, overall, do you see this as a risk when you are going to be migrating, let's say, from NoSQL or other file-based systems to a SQL server-based system? I would say when you've got a proprietary database and you're migrating to a structured one like SQL, yeah. that, that is going to cause you not necessarily more problems. It's going to take you longer. Yeah. Okay. If you're doing SQL to SQL, then it's going to be a lot easier. And you could probably use uh, an ETL tool in the middle um, to to unify that data, cleanse it, and then push it into the, the target system. Another consideration here, though, is with with most SaaS-based systems now, you don't yeah. have access to the database. So exactly. you're really dependent on getting that data out through maybe reports or maybe Excel-based add-ins where you can extract the data. Um, but then pushing it back in, you're, you're also going to be reliant on the target system having a, an import tool. And But often that will give you the ability to do the mapping, maybe some transformation. So I think you know, it should be easier the more you know applications develop and if you're doing SAS to SAS then the, potentially there's going to be a bit more work getting the data out but then yep. pushing them in there's often import tools from the initial data migration that happens when you load data into the system so yeah that's hopefully that that answers the question Sam. It does it does you know but I'm obviously interested in some more details there to paint the story for our listeners so here we are talking about 500,000 transactions and, you know, some people might be confused overall whether this is more of the historical data, is it more of the open PO data, open sales order data, open vouchers, you know, which data set are we talking about? Is it the master data? What exactly are we talking about in terms of migration? So in, in that instance, it was the, the ledger, the general ledger. So purely financial transactions, no open order no open items on po's or anything like that it was purely financial data the op there's obviously the option to just bring over um opening balances apart from the open item uh, accounts such as you know trade payables etc but we brought over all the history as well for it because it was a relatively young company i mentioned uh, at the time it would have been maybe seven years old the company yeah the option we wanted to bring over everything. So if it was, you know, if you're talking maybe 15 years worth of transactions, you might only bring over the last seven or however many you want to bring over. And then what you do is then obviously bring over the opening balances for to the accounts where you are um, basically summarizing that data to a point in time. So very interesting. So, okay. So uh, first, I would like to understand the rationale for bringing just the financial data. And I don't know if this was more of the regulatory reasons because of which they really wanted to bring that data, right? Uh, But typically, when you are talking about historical data, it's typically going to be your salespeople who are going to be excited about that because, you know, they want to look at the customer history, whatever the customers have done. So they are looking at every single sales order pricing, you know, at what price anybody has bought, those are the details that they are really interested in. So number one, what was the rationale behind bringing the historical data? Uh, Were there any sort of business use cases that drove the reasoning for bringing the historical data? So the first one, the historical data, the the business wanted to just bring everything over. So that was just, you know, very clear. That's what we were doing. Bring everything over. Okay. Um, in terms of 
why was there only financial data? That's because they weren't putting any um, purchase orders or anything into Sage. So everything was manual in terms of purchase. And then it was just a resulting invoice that was being input into, into the system. But I have worked on migrations where we have bought over purchase orders on systems as well. In those instances, you can either, it, it can get messy because if you're going to bring over just open items, then it looks a bit weird when you're looking at a purchase order in the target system because it doesn't match the original one because there's only, say, there's 10 lines on the original PO. When you migrate, there were only three that were open. So you're migrating a PO with three items on. And they're just the remaining ones that are are to be delivered and invoiced. So there are issues with that. You could bring everything over as well. So if you've got a purchase order and it's still got some open items on it, you could bring over all the items into the the new system. But then you need to go through the process of closing off the ones that have already been closed off, just so it gives you a like-for-like match between source and targets. So I would say migrating purchase order data is a lot more complex than, than financial data. There's a lot more, as you mentioned earlier, a lot more dependencies involved in the process. Right. So even in the case of financial data, obviously, the more dependencies you are going to have, the, you know, it's it's going to be a nightmare to be honest, okay? And I really don't know, you know, why anybody would do that, to be honest. At least in the ERP system, you can build your data warehouse, you know, that's not going to have as tight relatability as your ERP system is going to have. Because in the case of ERP system, you need to close the books, you need to close the financial period, and you literally need to mimic the process of last 15 years, and you are probably doing that manually, because I don't know if there is an automated system that can literally take every single data point and close each of the transaction, (laughs) you know, for 15 years, that could be a giant software in itself, if you were to sort of automate that process. So describe the process. So for example, let's say even if you're bringing the financial data, Right. So you first need to create your financial calendar. You need to have them open. Then you are looking at the chart of accounts. There may have been some sort of evolution overall in terms of chart of accounts as well. So you need to make sure your chart of accounts are going to be consistent. Then you I don't know if you had to bring in any other dependencies such as your payment terms at the GL level. Probably you don't have all of that complexity. So at the GL level, the only thing you are going to have is your debit credit and the currency and the amount probably right did you have to figure out any other dependencies there or are we talking about just the four or five things yeah absolutely you've mentioned charts of accounts there so there was a mapping table between source and target so in in some instances that's consolidation of accounts where you've got you know multiple source accounts going into a single target because we've got a slightly more refined chart of accounts rather than a plethora of ones that have just been created as and when They've been required in the in the source, so that was one one thing. The chart of account mapping is is key to to getting that right as well, and that in, that includes mapping supplier accounts as well. So in some instances, you might have it might be an option to tidy up supplier accounts. Let's say you've got two suppliers um, supply codes for the same supplier, but for some reason they've been opened. They've both been opened. They've both been used. You want to tidy that up and just bring it into a single supplier in the target system. That will be done all, all through the mapping table as well. So it, it is an, an option to to do that, and actually, it's a it's an opportunity. I would say, sorry, to actually improve the data set. There's no point in having garbage in the in the old system and garbage in the new one. You may as well try and clean it up whilst you're going through that migration process because it takes long enough. So you may as well take the opportunity to to have a cleaner data set at the end of it. Also, we had the 
so in in Sage, there wasn't there is the option for analysis on transactions, so recording the cost center, you know, the project code, etc. But it hadn't been used. So what we wanted to do is actually bring that across. So um, we had the finance team identify transactions, and often it was based on suppliers. So they'd know a particular supplier was always going to be related to project A. So then there are almost a set of assumptions as well that were built into the the data migration process to say, right, if it's this supplier, then then let's code it to project A in the target system. So by the what we had in the target system, we were able to analyze the data set, the same transactions, but we were able to analyze them much deeper than just looking at it by supplier because we could break it down by project, um, cost center. Uh, there are other, uh, also tax as well. So if a transaction had, you know, we could work out based on transaction amounts and, and certain rules if what the rate of VAT was, for example. So then we could code that in, which makes it easier for tax returns as well in the, in the, in the new system. So we managed to improve the data set through assumptions and rules uh, that were validated from source to target. Yeah, so some very interesting layers there, and, and I want some more clarifications there. So you mentioned the suppliers and suppliers having each of them having an account. So now there are many different ways of sort of setting up your chart of account. If you are going to have 200,000 suppliers, you don't want to have 200,000 chart of account. Uh, you know, you probably want to have five or six, depending upon what are the categories for your suppliers. Now, if your existing or the legacy system is going to be keeping just one chart of account because of some weird limitation that they cannot probably have the categories. So each of the suppliers is probably going to have one chart of account. So now, again, going back to your example about garbage in, garbage out, if you are going to be keeping, if you are going to be bringing the historical data, my assumption is going to be that because of the historical data, you are actually bringing a lot of mess in the new system and that is going to be polluted, the, going to be polluting the, the sort of the, the master data structure even for your new system because you have to bring a lot of data that is no longer required for your company. So again, I'm going back to my question, whether it is it really worth bringing the historical data? Is there any sort of value? But I know that your business said, you know what, we are doing it, no questions. <laughs> yeah, so I think, well, actually, you mentioned that you wouldn't create a charge of account for every supplier. In some systems, you do. You do actually have an account for every single supplier. Really? So, oh, wow. Yes. Yeah, you do. Yeah. Oh, wow. So you can have thousands of, of accounts. It has a separate supplier table, which elaborates on that, and that has the payment terms, supplier address, etc. But yes, you do. Whereas in Sage, you just have the um, the trade creditors accounts, but then you have all the supplier codes that are, are linked through. So it almost has that sub-ledger yeah. where the transactions for that are held. So we actually had to create all those new suppliers in the target system. Um, so really, it was just based on the rules by that by that system, you know, um, in this case, under the target. In terms of the garbage in, garbage out, yeah, I mean, in the historical data, I think in this case, it's because there was uh, a lot of open transactions as well. Yeah. It was very hard to actually determine what was open from the data set that we've been given out of Sage. It's just, we took the the least, you know, lowest risk approach yep. and said, right, bring it all over. It might take a bit more work, but at least we know we've got, you know, the data in both systems. We can easily reconcile it and, uh, yeah, could potentially do a tidy up at a later date and close off, 
you know, any supplies have got zero balance and been used for a period of time, close those off, etc. So, yeah, a bit of maintenance afterwards as well. Yeah, exactly. And you mentioned one more layer there overall in terms of the project. Now, project could mean a lot of different things. Sometimes the project is going to be just a dimension on your GL and could also be a giant wrapper where you are going to have the operational workflow of your project included in that you are going to have the operational task, the budgetary task, there's going to be a little bit of planning, then you are going to have the suppliers associated with those projects. So my assumption in this particular case is going to be that you simply brought in the dimension which only classifies, okay, which GL belong to which project, and that is the only thing you are bringing. You are not necessarily bringing the whole project object because that could be far more complex uh, to bring from the historical data perspective. Am I accurate, not accurate here? Yeah, correct. So in that case, it was just a, an analysis dimension that you're essentially, you know, bringing in. It's not, there's not anything else associated with that project other than a code in it. Okay. So other than multi-currency, you know, what other challenges can you recall that you may have experienced? You might have any sort of, um, you know, recommendation for our listeners when they might be planning Let's say for the data migration project, uh, you know, it could feel overwhelming when you are sort of starting on that task. So what would be your process for the, uh, you know, data migration project? Let's say if somebody's starting fresh. So first of all, work out what your your current currency structure is in terms of we, we touched on the different currencies earlier. Yeah. So and then work out what's possible in the new system and how you want it to work. Um, one of the. Just another example. So I did a lot of work in uh, in Africa for okay. African companies. So you have uh, in Western Africa, you have OHADA accounting. And that's statutory reporting that you have to you have to submit. So you'd have your transaction currency, your US dollar base or functional currency, and then you'd have your other or second base could be West African francs, for example, for your sure. OHADA accounting. So you have to think that every single transaction that's going through is going to create off of a GBP transaction is going to create you a US dollar equivalent yep. and then also a um, West African franc as well. So it's thinking about you have to keep that up to date as well, because with your multi-currency systems, you will want to revalue your base currency at the end of every month. Part of your ledger revaluation process. So taking your foreign currency and seeing what the US dollar amount is at the end of the month, not when it not when that transaction was recorded, but at the end of the month. You also need to do the same thing for your reporting currency as well if you want to keep it up to date. So that's something that you have to consider and how you're going to produce that set of books when the statute often with OHADA it's not as frequent as as IFRS, you know, for reporting. Maybe once, twice a year. But you have to keep on top of that and you have to think about right at the offset how you're going to do that and what you're going to need to report in in terms of multi-currency. So it's it's very important um, where you're going to get your rates from as well yeah. and where where it has to calculate it from. So are we calculating it from the transaction currency or are we actually calculating it from we're calculating that West African franc amount from the transaction or from the dollar amount from the functional currency? And I'm sure the, the accountants... Um, in the audience will know better where to do that but they're the sort of questions that you need to think about as well yeah so very interesting and the rate is very challenging part as well when you are looking at the historical data because let's say if we are going to be translating based on today's rate the rate has already changed and then you know it's probably not going to reconcile so i don't know what you had to do to figure out okay what was the rate at that moment 
in that period and i don't know whether they were closing these uh, their books every month for last 15 years so have, i don't know if you had to close the uh, you know the books for every month for last 15 years or were you doing just the 15 period um, so at, at that point in time for that migration we were just looking at the transaction dollar and i think we did actually create the the west african franc um, amounts but clearly that wasn't in the, the source system it was just the transaction in the base. So in terms of the, the rate, yes, what you have to infer harder as well, it's often pegged to the euro. So it adds more complexity because you have to go and find out what the rate to the euro to the West African franc was at that date. And then do some kind of tri- triangulation between the current date, the US dollar amount and the, the ZOF. So, yeah, it, it was um, it wasn't simple, put it that way, but... <laughs> It's it's not something I'd like to repeat again too soon, that, that particular uh, scenario. <laughs> exactly. I mean, I don't want to be part of that project either, to be honest. Okay. Any historical migration, it's it's not fun. It, it's really not uh, worth it, to be honest. So, all right. I mean, that's it for today. Do you have any last minute closing advice uh, or remarks for our listeners by any chance? I would say just the, the five things I've got is know, know your data, uh, reconcile at every stage, take the opportunity to cleanse the data. Um, verify and validate, then do it again, do it again, and do it again. It's financial data, so it's got to be right. And and work it on a sample set, something that's representative of your your organisation, whether it's a quarter, uh, you know, half year, or just a single period. Uh, yeah, that that would be, be it. So I'll go into a lot more detail, but I think uh, those sort of five points would would help. Okay, amazing insights. And my personal takeaway from this conversation is going to be. If you are going to go through the historical data migration process, make sure you have at least six months allocated for that, uh, because I don't think you'll be able to finish before that. Uh, and if you are going to be planning uh, yourself in, let's say, 10 days, uh, you know, you are probably going to lose your credibility uh, with your executive. So make sure you are going to be realistic with the expectation overall with your team as well as with your executive team. On that note, I really want to thank you for your time. Uh, This has been a powerful episode. Thanks a lot, Sam. Take care. I cannot thank our guests enough for coming on the show, for sharing their knowledge and journey. I always pick up learnings from our guests and hopefully you learned something new today. If you would like to learn more about Richard, follow and connect with him on LinkedIn. Links and more information will also be available in the show notes. If anything in this podcast resonated with you and your business, you might want to check other related episodes, including the interview with Jim Downs, who shares his insights into the importance of tracking meaningful financial KPIs to improve profitability and growth for CPG companies. Also, the interview with Augustin Cruz Lorano, who shares his insights into the taxation and localization nuances of Mexico and why the vanilla ERP would fall short for Mexico. Also, don't forget to subscribe and spread the word among folks with similar backgrounds. If you have any questions or comments about the show, please review and rate us on your favorite podcasting platform or DM me on any social channels. I'll try my best to respond personally and make sure you get help. Thank you, and I hope to catch you on the next episode of the WBS Podcast. Thank you for listening to another episode of the WBS Podcast. Be sure to subscribe on your favorite podcasting platform so you never miss an episode. For more information on growth strategies for SMBs using ERP and digital transformation, check out our community at wbs.rocks.
We'll see you next time.